This may not be the time to ask, but were you and Satine ever... I don't see how that has any bearing on the situation at hand. I'll take care of this, Obi-Wan. You, go find your girlfriend. Right. But no, Anakin, she's not my... Welcome to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Deep in the bowels of the frozen ice caverns of Hawk, our hosts, Carl LeClaire, Jason Hunt, and Katie Horn, discuss all things Star Wars. So join the conversation and hang out here in the Wampa's Lair. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This is episode number 309, World Building. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the young Master Obi-Wan, to my Yoda, we have Carl LeClaire. <laughs> the young Master Obi-Wan, so am I just Attack of the Clones Obi-Wan with the mullet? No, no, it's just I'm Yoda, so you have to be young compared to me. That is true. Yes. Um, when 900 years old, you reach Lucas Gert, you will not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So, um, I am, I'm happy to be back in, in the lair. It's, uh, it, you know, uh, obviously Katie's not with us tonight. Um, but, uh, got a fun topic for you. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the you know kind of big extent expanded material that we've gotten over the years that have kind of um you know bolstered our our view of of the films in general and in our star wars lore in particular um so and things, when we say films in general we're talking primarily the saga right, films thank you, yes, films. yes the saga films so so things that have come out over the last decade or so which by the way just uh yesterday was the was it the fifteenth anniversary of the Tarakoski Clone Wars series? Oh wow! Was the first episode premiered fifteen years ago yesterday, which is just crazy. Um, or was or it was Monday, sometime this week? I can't remember the exact day, but it was someday this week was the fifteenth anniversary of the first episode of the the Tarakoski series, which was a great Clone Wars series. Um, and I know a lot of people just ate that one up i mean like obviously like our buddy joe hogan that was his that was like his re-entrance into the star wars world and he loves that art style so yes that that was joe hogan's gateway drug yeah for real so that was a great see i thought man my favorite thing about that series was oh there were a lot of great things but i it's my favorite version of grievous is in that series He's, he's so like terrifying and um yeah, like I just, oh, it's so good the way that, that he's personified in that, um, which is great. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about, you know, uh, things like Clone Wars, um, you know, Resistance now with being the newest thing and, and how these these shows or even the, you know, standalone films have, have kind of helped bolster our understanding of the, the saga films in general. So um, that's what we'll be talking about uh, in this particular episode. Um, and the fact that Katie gave us the matchup at the end of last week's episode of Kira versus Jen, we're obviously going to wait and post that to social media this coming week so that um, when Katie's back next week, we can break that down together as a team. Yes. It'll be so much fun. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, as always, of course, uh, you know, at the end of the episode, if you've been tuning in for this, we've got the next episode of the A New Hope radio drama coming up. Uh, episode nine, Rogue Rebels and Robots, um, which is, uh, I mean, I just, uh, I've been, I've been re-listening to each of the episodes basically on my way home from work the nights that we've been recording so that they're fresh <laughs> in my mind. I just uh, the A New Hope radio drama is just so good to me. I, I again like they're all great, but A New Hope's is the best. I think. Um, I agree. Yeah. Um, so last week's episode was finally that thing I'd been talking about for a couple weeks. You know about the that that terrifying torture scene between Vader and and Leia that obviously is not in the film. It's just implied. Um, and man, is that intense! I don't know if you you listened to it recently, Jason. Um, I not I haven't listened to it this time around yet, but I do remember it from uh, previous listens through listen throughs. So fair enough. Yeah, yeah. it's intense. Um, but the one thing, real quick, I want to just point out, and you might remember this: the thing I really enjoyed in this particular episode, um, or the last particular episode of of the In Hope Radio Drama, is there's that great scene, and it's expanded upon later in the radio drama as well, though. Where Mahdi is kind of implying to Tarkin that he's got all the control now. Like, he's the one in control of the Death Star. The Emperor's far away. You know, like, you hold the power of life and death in your hands. And then Vader kind of just bur- bursts into the scene and they get into. I don't know. I just, like, I love that, like, political, militaristic tension between them all there. And it's just, like, this great little moment that's obviously not in the film, but mm-hmm. I-, I love that scene in the radio drama. Yeah, I, that's the one thing about the A New Hope radio drama that um, I'm not the biggest fan of is the this whole Mahdi Tarkin subplot that goes on because Mahdi continues to inflate Tarkin's ego throughout um, the uh, the episodes and essentially is the one who kind of in a way backs Tarkin into a corner to stay on the Death Star during the Rebels' attack. Um, right. and uh, that's one thing I didn't care for. Yeah, is that he, like Tarkin wants to leave, and Mahdi tells him not to. Right, right. So, um, I, I think some of it's pretty good, but that's one thing that I'm like, eh, I don't like that because Tarkin is this big, you know, character who who's incredibly, supremely confident in himself, and only does what he wants to do, except. When it's at the behest of the emperor, you know, even then he'll find a way to make it work to his advantage, you know. Um, so that's the only thing that that I don't particularly care for in the radio drama, but the sure. the whole thing in general is fan flippantastic. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So anyway, I, I hope you've been listening. If not, obviously you can just go back to any of the last. Now eight episodes of ours were we, when we started it and just fast forward to the end. So it's yes. typically like the last 25 minutes to half hour of the episode would be the radio dramas. So mm-hmm. um, and I cannot wait. And, you know, I mean, we still have there's 13 episodes for A New Hope. So we've still got a few weeks left. But when when those are all done at the end of the episodes, I'm going to have Scott Rifen on. Um, which and I've dubbed him the Star Wars historian. I don't know if I've told him this yet. I have to tell him. I think he'll appreciate <laughs> it. But he's going to come on, and he knows a lot about the radio dramas as well. And we're going to kind of break down a little bit of where they came from, how they came about, just talking about some of the added stuff we got in the New Hope. So that'll be fun. Um, and as we sit here recording now on on a, on a Wednesday night, November the fourteenth, today was 
according to the Star Wars Celebration website, the final day of finding out if you were going to be accepted onto the podcast stage, which we, of course, applied for back in July when we were out in San Francisco. Um, we've never done the podcast stage at any of the celebrations. We just never felt the desire to really. Um, but this year, you know, we talked about it over the summer and we were like, yeah, let's do it. Like, it'd be a lot of fun. We've been doing this long enough now where we definitely feel like we could do this well as a live show and have a good time with it. Yes. So we, we really took our time doing the application and, oh man, I've been like anxiously checking my email like all week, like every two minutes, just waiting to hear. And apparently you're going to find out either way. So I'm, we're really hoping that we're going to, we'll hear back soon and hopefully be able to, to, to get to do that. Cause that would be a lot of fun. So it would, it would. so yeah, we, we haven't heard yet, but we are fingers crossed on that. Right. So, um, anyway, let's, uh, let's hop into this. So, you know, Jason, when you, when you think about the things that, um, obviously, um, go into fleshing out and world building in Star Wars, right? And world building is such an essential part of Star Wars, right? Yes. Um, and, for me anyway, just like thinking about my first real experience of Star Wars world building was like when I, you know, as a kid, like reading all those old legends novels, like I, again, like I've, I know I've shared this before, but the Jedi Academy trilogy by Kevin J. Anderson was always my favorite. Um, and I remember like just learning more about our characters, learning more about other worlds, learning more about, you know, new force powers or whatever it was. I think my favorite, again, my favorite thing as a young Star Wars fan about world building that we got in like novels and stuff like that was the way it af- it affected my play. The way I played Star Wars was so influenced by these world building stories that we got in you know all these old legends novels. Yes. And- yeah. Yeah, no, I and I devoured those as, those as well, many of those as well. But in particular, and I, I've mentioned it before, the X Wing series, mm-hmm. um, that was my absolute favorite. Um, it's funny though. Did you have anything more you want to say about the Legends novels in particular? Because I was going to sort oh. of broaden it a little bit. Oh, just one little thing. So I I randomly just decided. Um, did you ever read the Young Jedi Knight series? I don't think so. Um, it's it, it's YA, obviously. It's you know a young adult fiction. Um, this was also written by Kevin J. Anderson, um, and it was also co-written by oh my gosh, it's either Rebecca or Rachel, and I don't remember the last name either. Gosh, I sound like a jerk. I don't, but he co-wrote it with 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 this woman, and um, it obviously takes place in a world that he created. Right, he built that Jedi Academy world by writing the Jedi Academy trilogy. And mm-hmm. it essentially, like, it follows Jason and Jaina, and they're, you know, being trained on Yavin 4 at Luke's Jedi Academy, and, you know, the friendships they build with some of the other young Jedi Knights, who obviously go on in the Legends canon to become mighty Jedi Knights and Jedi Masters in their own right. Um, and I just figure I don't know why, but I was just like, this seems like it'd be, like, just fun light reading before bed. So I'm almost done with the first book, and it's it's fine. Like, it's it's. Compared to the YA we've been getting now, like a thinking of Lost Stars or Ahsoka, like it's it's I, I would put it as like really young adult fiction because it's <laughs> it's written in a in a very very juvenile way, and that's not an indictment of it. So, it's, it, so it, almost it's almost more of a junior novel than young yes, adult. Yeah, like okay. it feels more on par with like the Guardians of the Wills book we got, um, mm-hmm. kind of like that style. Um, but again, it's it's so fun to read like right before bed. It's super light. And, it, and it's fine. It's actually really fun to like see Luke as the Jedi Master that we obviously never got to see in the sequel trilogy. 
Um, well, not not in the way a lot of us wanted to, to be fair. Um, and uh, it's really fun. But the thing that it reminded me of while I was reading this, and, and I've had this experience a lot while rereading stuff from Legends um, over the last few years, is it's there's kind of, there's kind of these continuous callback callbacks to things from the films. So it'll be mm-hmm. like, you know, like there's a part where like Luke is sitting there looking at Leia. Luke remembers the first time he first saw Leia, that time in that hologram. Oh, while he's standing here next to Han, he remembers that old funny scoundrel that he sat across to from in the cantina on Moss Eisley, right? <laughs> yes. And it's like it's like all these funny callbacks to the films. And I remember mentioning this to my buddy Greg over the summer. And he made a really good point, and I, and I say that because it's a good point, and I don't want to steal it as mine. He made this great point of just simply like, well, he's like, think about it though. Like back in like the early '90s and mid '90s, we didn't have this like ready accessibility to the films that we do now, because they were still weren't even on. Some of them still weren't even on VHS then. Um, so like your ability to again like actively see them was limited. So by doing something simple like that in a book, like it. It allows your imagination to immediately go back to that scene in a way that now we can literally just like hop on our smartphone and pull that scene up, <laughs> you know? So, right. Right. Um, so it, it works. It makes sense as to why they do it. It's just funny now. Cause it's like, yeah, okay. I get it. Like <laughs> it. So it's just, it's just funny thing that I was noticing that I thought was worth mentioning. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to expand that um, a little bit because one of the ways that I, especially early on, really kind of started you know world building with star wars was by reading all the like the reference books you know Mm, the the visual guides the guide to creatures or characters or vehicles um you know things like that and i devoured those um because it gave me you know summaries of all these things that i could learn about and expand my knowledge about and i was able to get a lot of information without having to, you know, find all these different books, which, you know, I was only able to do through the library at that time. Um, and I didn't have ready access to a lot of these different things. Um, to, at least not to the degree that we have them now. Uh, so, and I, and I still read these books. I still get the, the visual guides and the incredible cross sections and that sort of thing. Um, cause they're awesome stuff for one. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the, the ultimate guide to characters was something I read and reread and, um, alien species, the, the guide, the ultimate guide to alien species was one that I, I own, uh, now somewhere. So it was, you know, that was always super cool stuff for me. And I'm just like, ah, oh, all these cool things and learning about all this stuff. And it, I, it really was like my star Wars textbooks. <laughs> um, in a way they, and um, they were built like textbooks like literally right like they were right they were those big editions they were heavy you know yes so uh but i devoured them over and over again um my i think my library probably got to the point where they're like well you, you might as well just keep it at this point but um you know the amount of times i checked them out but <laughs> yeah but you know, we we've now moved into another era. You know where that is all. You know, legends, um, and I'm still enjoying the books uh, now through audio form. Um, you know, I, I want to you know highlight Lost Stars in particular mm. as something that was a nice way to world build uh, because we got a big insight into the Imperial Academy um, and how things sort of shifted. 
between the rebellion and the empire post return of the Jedi um, and things like that. And we got it. And we got to see some of the sort of the on the ground perspective mm. uh, from both the empire and the rebels during the civil war, uh, because we, we only follow, you know, a handful of characters really uh, in the films. And so you get a nice expanded perspective uh, reading that book and others. Um, and then I, I got to, of course, give a, a nice quick shout out to the the new Vader comic line mm. that Marvel's putting out. Yeah. Um, I think the, the next trade paperback is supposed to come out, I think, within the month. And I'm super excited about it. So I'm like, I'm, I'm looking for it. Yeah, I'm really behind on it again. I, luckily, I've got my friends Ben and Greg who buy all of them, so and they're very kind to just let me borrow them, which is great. <laughs> um, so I, I'm way behind on those, but I do want to get caught up because I really want to see the creation of his castle on Mustafar, which I know we're getting in the current arc. So, um, yeah, I really want to see that. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I know you've always really enjoyed like those kind of like guide to – you know, books. And I only ever had, um, I think like one or two that I got like really old from like an old book sale and like they were already outdated by that time, but I still loved them because they were just, this had really good pictures. And again, this is really before the internet was a, was big. Like, right. Like now if you're like, Oh, I'm curious about like Cassian's blaster, you can hop on Google, look it up. And like, there you go. There's the Wikipedia page or something, right? Exactly. But the, this, these books were all you had for a long time, and they were just really great. You got these really great detailed pictures. I know, God, no surprise to you, or probably lots of people who, if they're regular listeners, and hopefully if you're not, if you're a new one, you're going to be about to be freaked out. But I torture oh, rack. Yeah, they never had it in any of them, and it drove me crazy. So <laughs> <laughs> they had the interrogation droid, but I didn't care about that. He just had a needle arm. I wanted that scan grid, um, but. Uh, <laughs> I am disgusting, but, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, those books were really, really cool. And I do remember because, um, I got one of the guide to the character books when it, shortly after attack of the clones came out. And of course, like the center character on that one, and this is true of like anytime a new star Wars book comes out, like of that caliber, it's going to highlight characters from the most recent of the films, right? Like now anything, it's typically going to be Disney star Wars. And then, the other main stuff is kind of more in the background or periphery. Makes sense. I mean, it's marketing. Um, right. And uh, but center stage was you know Attack of the Clones, Anakin and Padme, and I just loved that like perfectly permed, slicked back Anakin hair. And again, like <laughs> after I got that perm in my sophomore year of high school, I would always hold my that picture up in the mirror next to me to make sure I looked just like it. And I didn't, but I in my mind I thought I did. So. <laughs> That's how hilarious, man. Yeah, if you're a new listener now, you know I like torture racks and perming my hair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, um, the latter of which he is no longer capable of doing. Um, what perming well, my hair? No, I don't know. I could. I just have to grow it out, and but I'm not gonna. So, <gasps> right. <laughs> God, if we get out of the podcast stage, maybe I should bring back the Anakin perm. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Y'all better hope we get on the podcast stage because oh, and every five minutes on the stage, I'm just going to turn to you and be like, "You fell into that nightmare, master, and I rescued you." Remember? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're sweating. Relax. Take I, a deep breath. I haven't seen her in ten years, master. I mean, Knowing just, smile. Yeah. Uh, no. Like, <laughs> know your role, Anakin. <laughs> 
So anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right, no, sorry. Don't, don't you dare stop that. Oh. Miss us so smiling to see you in yourself. Good to see you again, Jaja. Senator Padme. Looky, looky, Senator. Decent Jedi arriving. No, no. Misa Palos here. Looky, looky, Senator. Decent Jedi arriving. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, right, like, I think whenever you think of world building in Star Wars, I mean, the first thing that hops out for, I shouldn't say for everyone, because Star Wars is obviously, Star Wars is the climate of Star Wars is different now, I think. Yes. So So I want to be careful when I say, like, whenever you think, you'll think of fill in the blank. Because it's like, no, like, this is what I think of and probably my generation of Star Wars fans. But young people probably don't. Like, the Star Wars books today I don't think are as big as they were when I was a kid only because there's so much other stuff. And, right. and, and that's not a judgment call. It's just a truth fact, right? Like you're more likely going to see younger people probably today playing the video games, reading the comics, watching the expanded television series. Those things weren't available when I was a kid. Like it was like you had these books. So of course I was going to devour them. There were video games, but I didn't have a video game thing. So I wasn't really able to play them. But, you know, so again, like for myself, when I think of world building in Star Wars, the first thing my mind obviously goes to is these old legends novels from, you know, Heir to the Empire up through really, um, gee, I, pre- I, I kind of stopped reading them during the New Jedi Order. That's when it really fizzled out for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, these were these were stories that, again, like they literally built the world. They, they told you mm-hmm. new adventures, new stories, new characters um, that you really cared for. Um, so... You know, that's always been an essential part of Star Wars. Um, I mean, literally, think back to 1978 with the Splinter of the Mind's Eye, right? You know, right. months after A New Hope came out, like there was already this popular novel, you know, by a popular sci-fi author, Alan Dean Foster, that just sold off the racks because people wanted more of that world. Um, have you ever read Splinter of the Mind's Eye? I have not. It's horrible. <laughs> That's what I've heard. My, my group of friends out here, we did it as like a book club, uh, like last last like last spring, and uh, we thought like, oh, it'd be cool because like we knew that we were going to go to Mimbin and Solo, so it might be cool to like. And none of us had ever read the story. It's really bad. So, but people loved it then. And again, like it makes sense. Right. It's all you had, and you also didn't have anything else to compare it to. It wasn't wildly out of line with A New Hope. But when you think of like how these characters have been built all over the decades, it, Luke and Leia don't really quite fit the right characterization. But again, for its time, makes total sense. Yeah. Um, didn't they uh, almost get into some, ins- you know, rather uh, too close for comfort situations, uh, Luke, Luke and Leia? Luke pines after her hard, like a lot in the book. And like, again, back then you didn't know they were brother and sister. Um, right. So... I would imagine in 1978, like it makes sense that like this character is falling for her. It's the language is a little creepy to be honest, but, but now we obviously that we know that they're siblings, it's like extra weird. <laughs> so, right. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, and, and, you know, there was something about, you know, I, I think I, again, this is where we need a Scott Rifen because he's the historian, but I can't think of anything maybe besides Splinter of the Mind's Eye that didn't have to like contend with the full 
saga, right? Like once you get heir to the empire and then they start really like that big wave of the early legends novels in the nineties, everything there, even then, right. They had like, what is essentially today a story group? Like they had people that made sure these stories matched up, that they continued to build that, right. Like nothing contradicted one another. So there was always that consciousness of making sure that the story continued to expand and not contradict itself. Um, and again, like that's why I understand when Disney took over and decided we're going to continue to tell stories, we're just going to have, but we're going to get rid of these things because again, otherwise you're pigeonholed. Um, right. It makes sense why they did it. I mean, I get why people didn't necessarily love it, but it just makes sense because you, you had this huge, huge canon. So it really limits what you can do with your own creative juices. So again, I think that's obviously why they did it. Um, right. But you think of like the guidebooks you mentioned just a few minutes ago. Those guidebooks are still, in a way, canon, right? Like when we went to um, Mimbin, like literally, that was the first planet created after A New Hope. And it's exactly it appears in the book. It's a mud planet. You know, um, Kashyyyk, it was, you know, Kashyyyk was in Star Wars books before it was in Revenge of the Sith. Right. And in the books, it's this forested planet. Like this, that's this, what, this jungle kind of planet with, you know, the cities are up in the trees. Right. So, so it's always it, – so like those things that aren't story contradictions have always been – you know, the, the stories have been faithful to those elements all along, which I think is really cool. Um, yeah. But, no, I agree. You know, the, those the, – the guidebooks are still very much viable if you're interested. You know, even, even the older, um, you know, out-of-date ones um, are still fascinating to go through because – it's all sort of like factual information, um, right? Unless you're unless you're getting like the character books, then some of the backgrounds are probably changing. But if you're going to get, you know, the guide to creatures, the guide to ships, the guide to alien species, um, you know, things like that, pretty much all that information is moved forward. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. Speaking of moving forward, maybe right. we should yeah. move into. Uh, Something that doesn't require you to turn a page. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, like I just, you know, said at the, the top of the show, Clone Wars was the first real big um non novel you know, non non literature form to building the Star Wars world. And and I also think like and both the Tarakoski series, but more so the obviously like the 3D animation series. And that's the one I'm going to focus mostly on because Tarakoski series was great. Like it was a lot of fun. And I think it did a great job of showing kind of the spectacle of the Clone War. Yes. Um, but it, you know, there wasn't particular like strong character building in it. Um, it wasn't it wasn't intended for that purpose. No, because um, they're, you know, three to five minute shorts. Right. You know, you don't have the time. Exactly. This was meant to be fun adventure stories, um, but you know, but Clone Wars itself, which you know premiered ten years ago, <laughs> um, didn't. Yeah, I didn't realize there was five years between those two series, though. By the way, I didn't realize it was that long. I thought they were much closer together than that. Um, mm. Well, it's because um, the Tartakovsky series. Oh, it did have two seasons. It three. It did technically. Oh, um, the first ten episodes. It it. Was released in two volumes. Right. Okay. That's the that's first. I'm thinking that then, then. The first volume was split over two years, I think. Okay. Uh, or, or like had a big break, like a six month break in the middle, or something like that. It was. You had your first ten episodes, 
And then you had your second 10, which ended up sort of leading up to a final confrontation um, at the end of the season. And you ended with Grievous showing up um, to take out the Jedi on Hypori. And then it was like, come back next year uh, as we lead right into Revenge of the Sith to find out what happened. And you're like, ah! Um, So... Yeah, that that was uh, so. It it ended the same year Revenge of the Sith came out. So they they ended closer. The the, the two series um, ended closer than obviously it began. But okay, yeah, and, you know, and to me the the strongest attribute of the Clone Wars, and and you could actually I think you could also say this about the Tarkovsky series as well, is the fact that it develops that strong bond and camaraderie between Anakin and Obi Wan. Yes. Um, yeah. And, you know, I love the prequels, but I, I, I still think to this day that, that that is one thing that the films kind of miss. Like Attack of the Clones, it's just a kind of kind of like like bickering Master Apprentice. In Revenge of the Sith, like the beginning, it's very clear like how close they are to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but we never really got those, those stories. And I, I love the Clone Wars for giving us that. Like you really see that brotherhood forged in fire and you know and and how important that is and also all the things they learn about each other during the clone wars you know most notably to me that it is the relationship obi-wan had with satine right um yeah nothing makes probably anakin feel more connected to obi-wan than something like that because of obviously his own relationship with padme right and while Mm -hmm. of course he never openly shares it with obi-wan um you know, you can just think like that's going to strengthen that relationship as well, um, and it really, you know, like the the thing with Satine, it really changes your perspective of Obi Wan. And um, I remember initially, I didn't like it. I didn't like this idea that Obi Wan had like a love interest because to me it felt inconsistent. But then as it like developed, and now looking back on it, it really does make sense because it's like. No, Obi-Wan did never leave. Like, he was never really going to. Um, it just makes him a far greater human character, I think, by giving him something like that. And it makes him a better Jedi, too, if you think about it, right? Like, if if you make a vow to something and you never really have to, like, stand up for that vow, it doesn't make it quite as intense. And it's not to say that, like, therefore it's debunked, but, right, like... Making a di- making a choice to be a Jedi every single day is probably a hard choice to make, and Qui Gon tells Anakin that in Phantom Menace, right? Like, even if you become a Jedi, you know, it's a hard life, um, right? You know, and the fact that we learn about Satine, I think, shows the like the true Jedi identity that belongs to Obi Wan, and I think it's it's such a great thing. Well, you're right because uh, you know temptation or or the um, the idea of, of drawing away or being pulled away or the, the offer of, of something else um, tests your devotion when you when you make a vow. And Obi-Wan is the truest of the Jedi because he is tested and, and in a sense tempted by possibly the perfect woman for him ever, Satine. The two of them, as we see in the Clone Wars – meld together and work together beautifully you know they they really would have been an incredible couple um if they had decided to go that route 
Yeah. And it's it's so and it's not like it's not a seduction that's trying to pull Obi-Wan away. This is this is a possibility of of something wonderful, something amazing, something that that could be equally or more fulfilling for him. Um but he made a vow. Right. And in the end, Obi-Wan keeps his promises. Yeah. So um and and it's one of those things when when he, you know, tells Anakin, you know, you've made a commitment to the order, a commitment not easily broken, you know, that means a lot to Obi-Wan. You know, that right. that's not just something like, hey, you, you you made a promise, don't don't be stupid about it. You know, this is like, no, this is a serious thing for Obi-Wan. Yeah. You know. Um and and it's nice to see, you know, in the Clone Wars that we we get we get to see how serious that commitment is for Obi-Wan. Right. Um, even in light of something as wonderful as a possible life with Satine, mm-hmm. you know, that would have presented itself. Yeah. So. Right. And then, you know, I mean, you look at things like that and how they affect Anakin. And then, of course, the other huge element of Clone Wars is Ahsoka, right? The character of right. Ahsoka. And most notably the fact that she does walk away from the order, right? In order that she feels betrayed by and, and not supported by. And when she makes that decision to leave, um, you know, I think, oh gosh, that's such a, I mean, what a wonderful moment in, in Clone Wars. Um, not to mention some of the oh, most beautiful music. Um, <laughs> so good. You just, you just made... <laughs> A bunch of people spontaneously burst into tears, Carl. Good. I mean, <laughs> you're welcome. You're all hard. So good. Well done, Kevin Kiner. Well done. But yeah, you know, when she, she makes that decision to leave, um, it makes it a reality for Anakin, though, too. Like, that you can leave and have a life. And here's where I think it's going to come into huge play is the fact that he sees her what's probably days, if not maybe at most weeks before the events of Revenge of the Sith, right? Yeah. He sees her still living a fruitful life, even though she's not part of the Jedi Order. I'm sure that brings up a lot for him, too. But like, wow, I actually could leave this place and, you know, have a good life. Think of, you know, think of the way when... when Padme first tells him, right, when he gets back from the battle over Coruscant and she's like, I have wonderful news. You know, I'm carrying twins and like, what are we going to do? We're not going to worry about it right now. Like, there's a part of him in that moment, I think, that it's like, whatever. And even when she's like, you know, not right, he he leans in to kiss her, not here. I, You know, I don't care. I'm sick of all this deception and stuff, right? Like, I almost feel like maybe this is him coming a little bit back from like, having some emotional heat after seeing Ahsoka and just being like, you know, the heck with this, like I'm going to live my best life. And that means I get to be with you. And if the order doesn't like it, well, the hell with them. Right. As I, right. I almost feel like that could be the mindset he's in because of Ahsoka. Right. Um, you know, and, and I just, I can't wait to see that interaction between the two of them. I mean, and granted, we already knew that he has some interaction with her close to revenge of the Sith because of the Ahsoka novel, right? Like he's right. the one who brings her, her lightsabers and, you know, uh, it, when she when he's when they send her to Mandalore to take you know take on Maul, um, he, le- he lends her part of the five hundred first. Right, exactly. It gives her Rex, you know. Um, yeah, gives him gives her his right hand man. 
Um, and uh, yeah, so like you think about how close that is going to be to Revenge of the Sith, and I think it really makes it really does such a, a, a wonderful thing for his character arc within that film. You know, the thought that he can live without the order because he gets to see Ahsoka do it. Exactly. And, and not only does that, it, does Ahsoka being in the series expand Anakin's character in many ways, because it does, it, it, it shows him growing, shows him being very capable and learning and, and really, also gives him multiple points of, of stress that help lead him towards the decisions made in Revenge of the Sith. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ahsoka also expands the universe in and of herself right? in a way um, that was unexpected. Um, I, don't think, I don't think anybody expected her to basically take over. You know, <laughs> she yeah. she was this snotty nosed kid in the movie that almost everybody kind of rolled their eyes at. Whether you hated her or just you know meh about her, you kind of like. I really hope she grows up because I don't. I can't take much more of Sky Guy and R two E and you know her <laughs> lip, yeah. her attitude. Um, but. Give her, you know, two seasons in, three seasons in. She is a strong, capable character in and of herself. And she kind of just takes over in the TV world, you know, the TV episode world, you know, episodic television world of of Star Wars. So much so that Dave Filoni is almost kind of forced to bring her back when he goes into Rebels. Right. You know, not that I think he had to be... Right, too hard to bring her back. But you know, everyone's looking to find out what happens to Ahsoka, and you have this uh, excellent opportunity to bring her back in an era much, you know, kind of far removed in a sense from the last time we saw her. You know, she's it's much closer to the you know the original trilogy uh, within five years. and we understand that she outlasts the, the Galactic Civil War um, to become Ahsoka the White, uh, essentially. Right. Yeah. Um, we don't know what she does. And so there's still plenty of stories that could be told about Ahsoka. But she kind of just took over in a way that I, I think Dave only hoped when he created the character. But nobody expected. And and that is a remarkable thing when you have a character who's only appeared consistently in one show and only, you know, semi-returning uh, character in a second show. She's so beloved in the Star Wars fan community that she's in, you know, probably consistently in everybody's top ten list of characters in Star Wars. Yeah. You know. That's yeah. remarkable. Right. Right. Yeah. And um, she is, you know, I, I think one of the best things she brought to, to Star Wars in general is the sense that, like, she's not, you know, she's not Anakin. She's not the chosen one. She's not Master Obi-Wan Kenobi or a member of the Jedi Council. She is a young person just growing up within this tumultuous Clone War as a Jedi 
mm-hmm. and figuring out how best to be a hero. Right. It's really cool. I think kind of, again, if you, if you just pull back and look at the grander story of Ahsoka, like you were just saying, one of the best things she gave to Star Wars, though, is unlike the, the entire Jedi Order, Ahsoka is capable of, you know, looking at this Clone War and saying, I need to be removed from this. I can't be a yeah. Jedi if being a Jedi means being a general in the Clone War, almost type of a thing. Um, right. Like she walks away. Yes, she's walking away more for personal reasons in the sense that she doesn't feel supported by them she felt betrayed by them and she needs to figure out what's next for her outside of this order but i think what's really impressive is that you have this character who's able to do something incredibly personal but wiser than the entire jedi council um right. and i just think that's so cool because like her decision is personal like it's not going to affect the grand galactic s- scheme of things in the way that like Anakin's going to and Obi-Wan's going to and Yoda's going to but like she makes this incredibly wise decision which makes her in a way the biggest hero of the Clone Wars and she also is sort of the gateway in Star Wars's exploration of alternate force use outside of that of the Jedi and the Sith yeah because she does strike her own path and when she returns in Rebels, she says, I'm not a Jedi. Right. She is very emphatic and very clear. She's not a Jedi. Right. She follows the will of the Force um, and her own creed, essentially. Yeah. Um, and so we really start to explore a third facet or, or, or a, an, a different facet of the Force when Ahsoka leaves because – she strikes out on her own. She doesn't stop using the Force. Right. She's still very powerful in the Force, very connected to the Force, still uses lightsabers, yep. although not Jedi lightsabers. Um, but she is not a Jedi, and she is very clear on that. Yeah. She's not a Jedi. And then, of course, we get things like the Bendu. We get things like the Guardians of the Wills. Uh, we, of course, have the Night Sisters that explore the the sort of darker side of you know the the non traditional force use, you know, and it's only expanding from there because Snoke was not a Sith, but he used right. the dark side. Yep. Uh, the, the Knights of Ren are not Sith, but Kylo is definitely using the dark side. Right. Um, and it only remains to be seen where it goes from here. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point, though, like the fact that they've really – really expanded the mythology of, of the force, right? Like, yeah. Um, in a big way in clone wars by first giving us a character like Ahsoka, but the, the, like you said, the, you know, the witches of Dathmir, like this kind of, um, occult dark side, you know, which yes. is really neat. Um, and then you also get, um, oh man, the guardian of the wills. So good. And ah. you know, I mean, this idea that there is a Jedi, religion right and while that even in a new hope right like it's um admiral Mahdi who refers to it as that ancient you know oh no tarkin's the one who says you're the last that's left of that old religion yes um you know so it's referred to as a religion there but you know rogue one um is great because it really gives us a sense that it 
it's an actual religion. Like there are people that there was a, I mean, granted this is in Force Awakens, so it is a saga film, but you know, we got a Church of the Force with Lore Santeca on Jakku. Um, but specifically the Guardians of the Wills and like that there's this Kyber temple on, you know, Jeddah and Jeddah is the birthplace of the, you know, well, it's not the birthplace, I guess in a way Octo is, but, you know, but Jeddah is like this sacred pilgrimage site for people that were, you know, believe in the force. Um, so it's really cool, like that we've been given, um, this deeper sense that the force isn't just for some. Right. Like everybody right. can have access to it in some some way. I mean, yes, others are going to be more gifted in it and can be Jedi and things like that. But anybody can follow the will of the force. And, you know, we really get that established in, in Rogue One. Yeah. No, and Rogue One is great. Oh, I love Rogue One so much. Um, and yes, we are going to talk about the standalone movies because they are outside of our saga. Um, I love Rogue One, I love the whole idea of the Guardians, the Wills, and exploring that side of things. But Rogue One also really gives us the immediate history for what happens in A New Hope. And it it brings to life the first two paragraphs of that crawl in A New right. Hope in a way that I had only ever dreamed we would get. Yeah, um, It gave us some fantastic fantastic characters some incredible action incredible emotion um it gave us factions within the rebel alliance with saw's partisans um you know it it showed us the the final moments of the death star going operational with krennic this guy that we never heard of before you know um devious little bugger that he is um <laughs> i love krennic i love him so much i i did listen to catalyst uh that was one of the first audiobooks i got um and he's the uh james lucino gets his character just perfectly mm. it's so good yeah um but um oh man i love rogue one i need to rewatch it i need really need to rewatch rogue one um yeah, uh, I, it's I, just so good. I watched it last week for the first time in a while, and yeah, it is. It's such a great movie. Um, but yeah, no, I mean that's Rogue One. Obviously, is the first of the you know anthology films as well. You know, it was it, it's the first of its own kind anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean it. Like you said, I think the biggest thing is is I will never read the opening crawl of A New Hope the same. You know, that simple paragraph about this group of spies and winning their first fight against the Empire. Like, getting to see the weight behind that, like, all that went into it. The fact that they literally gave everything, even though they're not around anymore. Right. Um, is just, you know, I mean, it, it, it makes that little line mean so much more. Because we know the characters involved. We know their struggles. We know what they went through to get there. Um, and both literally just in the sense of like getting to scare, fighting that battle, but also just their own personal struggles to get there. You know, Jin's ability to become the heroic character she knows she really is. And, you know, Cassian like making a really rebellious decision in a way that he probably wouldn't normally have, you know, finding some sense of humanity again, you know, Bay's finding his faith, Chirin mm-hmm. like living that faith in the most extreme way. You know, all of these characters, you know, Bodhi, you know, getting a purpose besides just being a, 
you know, shuttle driver for an empire, you know, <laughs> right. Like they all find like these incredible things. And, um, it makes, again, it just makes that opening crawl mean so much more. Um, that's to it me does. like, yeah, it's like the biggest thing about, about rogue one. Um, I, and again, like this is obviously me making up my own canon in a way, but, I now b- firmly believe that they're called Rogue Squadron and Empire Strikes Back in homage to, you know, the Rogue One crew. Oh, um, I, I believe it. You know, I I, I want to say there was some. There is something in one of the Star Wars something. comics recently where somebody mentions Jin. I think. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's something. Um, I, and I think I think someone has said. Yes, that there will be um, that that the that Rogue Squadron is named after Rogue One. I just can't remember where. So. Okay. Oh, so it is officially canon. I think so. I, okay. I'm not 100 yeah. percent certain on that, but I but it I seem to recall it being something mentioned in a canon material of some sort. Perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and right, like obviously, like that that book, this the book series you referred to right at the top of the episode there, Rogue Squadron, right, which is a very fun series, and 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 Rogue Squadron, even outside of that series, like even in those early Legends novels, they're they're always referred to as Rogue Squadron. But what's funny is they're never there's no Rogue Squadron in Return of the Jedi. Like we're told that in Legends books, like oh, Rogue Squadron was there in you know the first battle of the Death Star, and then again it you know helped take it down second one. It's like they weren't technically Rogue Squadron, like they're just Red Squadron, right? Um, they're only Rogue Squadron in Empire Strikes Back. So, yeah. And which makes sense because that's very close to what just happened in Rogue One. So um, it makes sense that they would name a squadron after that crew. Um, yeah. You know, and, and again, the, the – and, and this, is, this is a point Brian Young made a while back, but I think it's just it's – a, it's a great point on the fact that you know, the decision that the Rogue One crew makes to go into Scarif, knowing that they very well could all die, um, you know, kind of on the suicide mission, really helps inform the weight of Han's decision in Return of the Jedi, right? Volunteering to go to Endor, knowing that just like the Rogue One squad, like, crew, it's a good chance that he doesn't come back from this. Um, so right. It says a lot about his character. It does. It does. And speaking of... Han's character. I, yeah, I was just going to say. Solo. The great, Solo. A the Star Wars story. Star Wars film since Phantom Menace, in my right, opinion. Right. Well, <laughs> it's it's pretty freaking amazing. Uh, that's for sure. Um, and we get an actual origin story. Yeah. Um, and so this really does expand and highlight Han Solo, who he is. This shows us that Han really is the good guy at heart, you know, that, that hero. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. Oh, I got to listen. I just got to listen. Give it to me, John Powell.
Uh, yeah. Let's just go. Let's just pause and go watch Solo because it's such an incredibly amazing Star Wars movie. <laughs> it kind of is. It kind of is. Well, um, but you're uh, right. You know, it's it's you know, I mean, it's it's a Han's origin story, and again, I always love to call myself on when I say things that I regret later on. But I, you know, for the first year and a half that we knew this movie was coming out, I was like, it's stupid. I don't want it. I don't care. And now it's literally my favorite Star Wars film we've gotten since Phantom Menace. So, um, <laughs> and that's not a slight on anything else. It's just I love this movie, um, right? And um, yeah, it's. You know, I, I will say um, it doesn't – I don't think it brings a ton, but what I think it does bring is first and foremost though, and I don't even know if there's a, any particular thing you can say as to why, but you've said this a lot and so have several other people who didn't necessarily like love Han Solo. Not like you disliked Han, but it made you like him, right? It made you care about Han Solo. It did. In a way that for a lot of fans, they just kind of didn't. Um, he was, he was, he just wasn't my guy sure. in, in the OT, you know, I was a Luke Skywalker guy. And of course, you know, uh, that's second to R2D2 for me, but, um, <laughs> this is again, why but, Jason was chosen to make a podcast with me. Yes. Um, answers like that. <laughs> exactly. But no, uh, of, of the two main leads there in, in the original trilogy, Luke was my guy. I was always much more of a Luke kid than a Han kid. And um, it, like I've said many times before, it wasn't like I didn't care about him. It wasn't like I didn't like him. It just – he wasn't my guy. I was, I was not necessarily interested in learning more than what we already had. But you gave me Solo – and now I want more of Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo and the pre-A New Hope adventures of Han and Chewie. I need more. I, I need it. You know, I, it, <laughs> so you're, you're preaching um, to the choir, Jason. So you know, we we be, we see where Han starts. We see where the goodness began, but we now need to find out where that cynical side starts taking root well and i think it this whole film shows us that right you know all along like during production stuff you know alden ehrenreich said it you know ron howard said it right like this is the film where we learn how han solo becomes han solo and i remember you know some of the the first couple of times i saw and i loved it every single time but i did think to myself i'm like i don't know if it really shows us that but again it's it's like I want. I mean, the, I want more Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo because he's literally right up. He's on the same level as Harrison Ford as Han Solo to me. Like, not, neither one is better than the other. They're both perfectly Han Solo. Um, and I think, like, I want a second film too because I want to see Han have to process this. But these are all the events that obviously make him cynical, right? Yeah. You know, he is slighted and by um, like. Well, I don't want to. Say, he was slighted by Beckett for sure. Um, and he was cheated by Lando. He was cheated by Lando. Um, and he is, he loses, you know, the woman of his dreams. I, I choose not to say slighted because he was not slighted by Kira. I hate when people say that Kira betrays Han. She doesn't betray Han at all. That's not what it is. From, from not from her perspective. Now from his vantage point, right. He could feel betrayed. Absolutely. And that would make sense for him. Um, And you know, I but Kira, I, no, Kira is sacrificing her own happiness to protect Han. Right, right. But she can't tell him that. 
Exactly. Um, but I think, you know, again, at the end of that film, like Han, in some ways, uh, I mean, I just tweeted about this the other day while I was watching, but in some ways he loses everything, but he gains the most important thing in his life, which is Chewie. Right. Um, and, and the Falcon at the and end. The, and the Falcon, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think this movie really does show why, you know, 10 years later when we meet him in that shady cantina on Mos Eisley, the reason he acts so dispassionately about anyone, you know, like Leia even says, I wonder if he cares about anything or anybody, you know, he doesn't let himself because of things like what happened to him there on um, Savarine, right? Yeah. He doesn't want to get hurt like that again. And he won't if he doesn't let anybody in. Um, and that's really what we learn in solo. He's not going to trust somebody like the way he trusted Beckett. He's not going to let himself fall in love again. Cause probably in his interp, probably in his mind as he developed, it's just, well, love just makes you hurt and it makes you weak. So the heck with it. I don't need it. You know? Right. Um, and there's obviously, there's that really cool deleted scene from a new hope where Hans, you know, hanging with that really attractive woman at the cantina before, um, Luke and Ben meet up with him. And, I like that scene because, yeah, I would. I do think that Han was probably just a womanizer at that point. He's like James Bond in that regard, you know. Like to him, women are just simple pleasures, which is horrible. Like I'm not condoning that, of course, but it makes sense for a guy who he's juvenile in the sense that he can't understand why somebody would leave him. Um, but it makes sense that the only way he would then relate to women is just as you know, entertainment, if you will. Um, yeah. And like Leia is the first person and Luke as well to like really get beneath that tough exterior to really capture the goodness that is Han Solo that we are introduced to in Solo. Um, exactly. And uh, yeah. One ahead. other thing I want to mention about Solo, the, the, the other primary thing that it really gives us a glimpse into and, and builds the world um with and we got some of this in Clone Wars and a little bit in Rebels too is the underworld. Yeah. You know, with the smugglers and the gangsters and things like that. You know, we had uh Maul assembling a gangster army in the Clone Wars. Yeah. Um and then we see kind of how that progresses into who he becomes by the time we get to Solo. And we also get to see um you know low level gangsters like um Oh my gosh, the 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 white worms. What is the lady's name? Proxima. Mother Proxima, Lady Proxima. Proxima, Lady Proxima. Oh my gosh, I could not remember Lady Proxima's name. I'm looking at Malik here on my desk. <sighs> I'm like, who is your boss? Um, <laughs> tell me, <laughs> tell me. <laughs> He's gonna just shoot me for being insolent. Um, but um, yeah, you get a low level gangster like Lady Proxima, uh, but then you end up with the likes of Dryden Voss, who's one of the five, you know, clans yeah. out there that are, you know, the, the the Red Dawn is one of these five major Crimson syndicates, Dawn. crime syndicates out there. Crimson Dawn. Uh, Crimson Dawn. Whatever. I mean, Red Dawn, Crimson Dawn. It's the same color. <laughs> um, I'm shorthanding it. Um, I don't know. Red Dawn's about the rise of the commies. So well, there is that. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, you know, we, we learn about the five syndicates and the ma- five major syndicates. And, and we briefly glimpse, you know, a little bit of the operations of a second one uh, with the Pikes on Kessel, 
who we were introduced to in the Clone Wars back when yeah. Maul was making his rise. Right. You know. So I love how that's all working together, but we're we're really starting to get a, a better idea, a better handle of the the underworld, the the criminal world, the you know world of the smugglers and the gangsters, and that's really cool too. So yeah, absolutely, which yeah. will likely be more explored in the Mandalorian coming up. Right, and but the thing is, it's so far removed. Well, no, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I, but I want like I want another solo movie. I want it to be explored there. I want to see Kira go to Dathmere. Interact with Maul on camera, like watch that crime syndicate, um, watch Vader show up and just beat the crap out of Maul. I can say that because Katie's not here um, and <laughs> not because I dislike Maul, but I just think it's really important that Maul just get like his butt handed to him by Vader. Well, Katie, Katie did say that, you know, we, we, we would be able to get a Maul Vader confrontation right. if something like this continued. So, yeah, exactly. And again, you know. The way that Maul is very clearly like he very w- clearly admits in Rebels, you know, when he knows Vader's on his way that he can't take him. So I don't know if he just knows that because he knows he's not as powerful or if he knows that from experience. I'd like to think it's from some experience. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. Um, and it would make sense why he goes to a place like Malachor. Right. That's where he is. Malachor. Uh, in Rebels. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he of yeah. course goes to like a Sith homeworld because he knows he's not powerful enough to overtake Vader and the Emperor. So, but if I can go here and learn some Sith secret, I can cheat my way to power, right? You know? Or at least hide. Yes. Um, um, so. Oh, really quick, that just made me think of something, and I just want to say it real quick because I, I don't want to forget. I, going back to talking about Clone Wars, something I also really love about Clone Wars is how well it flushes out Palpatine's rise to power as well. Yes, like the way he manipulates. The banking clan, the way he like, he just manipulates so many little things to really ensure that he will become emperor. And as well as um, something that's explored a lot in Clone Wars, which I think, again, Palpatine uses to his advantage when he pulls off something like Order 66, is using public opinion against the Jedi, right? So yeah. much of Clone Wars explores the idea that the Jedi have fallen from grace because they're not being true to who they're supposed to be, peacekeepers, right? Now they're these generals in a war. And right, that, that theme is very consistent, especially early on in the Clone Wars, um, that they have fallen from this state of grace. And Palpatine, of course, is going to use that negative public image to further his own agenda when he, of course, eradicates them. Um, and I love that line in Rogue One when Bal refers to it as the Emperor's Purge. Like I love like that line because I immediately just I'm seeing Order 66 in my head. So damn good. <laughs> yeah. Well, and of course, you know, I think one of the greatest moments in the Clone Wars and Palpatine's rise to power is after Padme, I forget what exactly the bill was that she was stopping, but she gives this impassioned speech after being on the run and being, you know, um, tracked down and hunted by some bounty hunters and things like that after um, Anaconda Far is murdered. Um she gives this big speech and mm. you know wins over the day and everything, and then the final scene of the episode cuts to Palpatine and Masameda in Palpatine's office, and he says, "Give them this small victory because." And I forget the exact quote, but he essentially says, "You know, give them this small victory because, in the long run, they're only playing into what I really want." You know, mm. and that's not that's not the quote, but sure, but that's some, along those lines, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, it's along those lines, you know. 
Um, because it, and and he's you know there with the fingers steepled, looking <laughs> out the window, and he's so evil, and it's like, oh my god, you're the Sith Lord, right? Uh, so yeah, that's that's one of the most effective things I can remember yeah. um, in the Clone Wars with that. Yeah. So. No, absolutely. So just to round out the discussion, um, since we jumped back to the animated Clone Wars, let's finish with the animated Resistance, which obviously is the most recent um, world-building story of Star Wars. And um, I will continue to say this, Rebel or Rebels, Resistance is amazing. I'm loving this. It's, it is such a shock to me of how much I'm enjoying it. Um, but I think one of the things I'm appreciating most of all is just, and this is all I really wanted from it was the fact that it would help flesh out the sequel era a bit more. And I think it's doing a fantastic job at that. And we still haven't even gotten that much, but it's again, just it's playing it so well by like, it's just, you know, it's dropping those hints. It's dropping those little, you know, like ingredients that are obviously building towards something more, which is great. And I know we're going to get it. But it's really helping make sense a lot of what's going on politically, what's going on in the galaxy right before Force Awakens. Right. Um, right. And we, don't wanna, we don't want to give you guys anything too specific in case you haven't caught up and you're not caught up on, on Resistance or anything. But uh, there are definitely some really great hints and, and little tidbits that are being thrown in uh, to Resistance about the state of the galaxy – the rise of the first order, yeah, you know, kind of what it's been doing in order to continue its rise while at the same time, you know, maintaining this air of secrecy about it. Uh, and it's, it's really neat to, to get some of this backstory, some of the stuff that I wanted in the, the movies. Yeah. Um, but you know, they, they didn't, explore that side of it so um which is their prerogative that's fine but i you know when i you know starting to get some of the this information these tidbits um and you can kind of work your way backwards a little bit and say okay so this has been going on as they've been you know use doing this to their rise to power um and you start connecting that to things like um bloodline and and the poe dameron comic series um which i think is at least partly taking place alongside this series um you know if if you've read those other materials you can see threads starting to reach out from these different materials and sort of they're going to connect somewhere right nothing is nothing is fully connected yet but like you said we're getting tendrils and hints and ingredients dropped in and they're they're really neat. So yeah, they are. And well, one thing without because, like you said, I, I want to be respectful of the fact that some folks probably aren't either caught up or maybe just haven't started it yet. But one thing I do want to share, and it's it's very very much a spoiler light. Like it's not a big one, um, but it's neat to see how the first order is acting in the sense yes. of like it is. I mean, because the Colossus is out in the outer rim, and we're learning a little bit about the fact that it's out here in the outer rim and, and it's really kind of coming from the unknown regions, which is where the first order has been hiding out that they're slowly creeping their way in. Right. Yeah. Um, which I just think is really cool. And in some way, and maybe, I don't know if this is intentional or not, and there's a very good chance it's not, 
but it's kind of like the Yuzhan Vong, right? I, I've never really yeah. cared for the Yuzhan Vong, to be completely honest, but I did like this, at least the idea of like this totally different species. It wasn't just like another rehash of the Empire, which is what a lot of the Legends canon wants for a long time, um, but it's this totally foreign threat from the unknown regions that came in and just started obliterating. Um you know, to this, you know, to still some small degree, I sometimes wish that the the villains of the sequel trilogy weren't something like the First Order, because again, it's just the Empire 2.0. It would have been really cool if it was something else. It still, obviously, pulling a character like Kylo, like make it about the Skywalker family, but um, I still sometimes wish it wasn't just another version of the Empire. Um, it's fine, like it's cool, but it, I just I like that Re- Resistance has given us though this hint that. That's really what's happened is this First Order, and this is why the the New Republic doesn't see it as a threat, is, you know, like, the New Republic is living in what it assumes to be a golden age, right? Right. Um, and they, they're just not paying attention to this unknown enemy that's coming to power. And it's cool that the Resistance is showing us that, and it's really flushing out why Leia has organized the Resistance, which, of course, we got in Bloodline, like, her actually starting it. Um, but it's cool, like, in this series that we're seeing why she's so vigilant right and they are very active in the unknown regions it appears you know right. and they are beginning their creep into the outer rim which is where the colossus is and of course there are some not so veiled threats being levied at you know the captain of the colossus to try and ensure a nice little foothold for the first order um we're not yet sure how that's going to play out, but uh, yeah, they're uh, they're trying to establish their hold in this corner of the outer rim, and uh, we're we're going to see how it all plays out. Yeah, we really are. So anyway, I mean, I think it, you know, it, again, at the end of the day, this is such a wonderful aspect of Star Wars is the fact that we've got all these things to continue to build the world and expand the story and make us think about things in new and exciting ways and, and, and deepen our understanding of things that already are there, you know, um, uh, such a, this is one of the most crucial elements of star Wars is this idea of world building. And it's Um, one of my favorite elements, you know, it's so important. And, um, I mean, again, like, what I've like, what I've loved about Resistance, what I loved about Rogue One and Solo, is there's so many things in in those those films and in this series that again, like if I was a kid right now growing up in this era of Star Wars, there's so much amazing stuff to go have fun with, right? To like yeah. build your imagination. Like I could totally see myself as Kaz, like flying around the ships, or like being a young Han Solo running around with my blaster and like. This is the great thing about, you know, Star Wars material continually expanding. And and I've been doing a lot of ref- – weird to say this, but, I mean, consider what I do for work. It's not hard to believe that I do a lot of reflecting. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about and, like, reflecting a lot about how Star Wars is changing. Um, and in a way, Star Wars has always been changing and will always change. Um, and I think about, like – the fact that like sometimes it's like, oh, I just wish it would stop and like we could just have this story and, you know, um, we don't need any more. And, and I don't this is going to come out probably wrong and I don't mean it quite this way. Like I still don't think we need a sequel trilogy as much as like I've enjoyed that 
um, and and of course want more Star Wars. I still don't think Force Awakens and Last Jedi are telling me a story that I think needs to be told. In so far as how perfect Return of the Jedi is, mm-hmm. um, and and again, this is my opinion. I'm not saying you have to agree with it, um, and it's not to say that I think Force Awakens and Last Jedi aren't good movies. I think they're phenomenal movies. But I think the thing I've come to appreciate most about them is that they're doing the one thing that Star Wars was literally intended to do by George Lucas, which was create new fairy tales and myths to inform young people. And you can't just give young people today just the old trilogy and be like, oh, this is perfect. You're going to love it. I've worked with young people for the last five years, and a lot of young people told me how much they thought the originals looked terrible and they loved the prequels because that's what they grew up with. And now you're going to have young people growing up with the sequels where this is their star Wars and this is their entry point and everything else that they'll probably come to love, but this is their entry point. And I think you need something new to revitalize those things every now and then like that's important. And that was, I remember reading that in the, the art of the force awakens book, JJ Abrams, one of the first thing, the first question that he presented to the story group and as they started brainstorming ideas is why do we need the story of star Wars? And I think that like, that's the perfect question to ask. Like granted, yes, we all know that who is Luke Skywalker is what roped him into directing. But the question that once he was roped in, the question that he brought to the table was why do we still need star Wars? And while I still like, I personally, because of how ingrained maybe I just am with the originals and what we've had before the sequels, or just a very different kind of story than what I would have expected. But be that as it may, I love what it's doing for the future of Star Wars fandom. Um, and again, Episodes Nine's not out yet. So, you know, like that story isn't complete yet. So right. I don't want to be Russian saying like anything too soon. I mean, as of right now, again, it's still just my heart's still a little broken about like the fact that Return of the Jedi got so undone, right? And I think that fairy tale ending got undone. And like, there's a part of me that still kind of grieves for that. And I think that that's okay. Um, it's not my excuse for like hating on them because I think Last Jedi and Force Awakens are both fantastic Star Wars films. Um, but I'm just, it's why I can't wait for nine. <laughs> um, right. So anyway, that's, that's just some random ramblings by me. So sorry. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> we do need nine. We do need to know how this ends, how it all yeah. ties together. So uh, that is vitally important to this trilogy yes. um, because you need three in order to make a trilogy. So, I mean, obviously, it's vitally Thanks, important. <laughs> so um, and with that statement of the obvious, yes. um, I think uh, we need to start wrapping this up. So, uh Carl, just a quick reminder uh, for everybody. We do have a matchup that Katie gave us last episode. We mentioned at the beginning of the episode, but for those of you who um, – but just to remind everybody, um, we're going to be pitting Kira versus Jin uh, in our head-to-head matchup. So be sure to be thinking about who we would win in that matchup. And, of course, keep an eye on our social media for when we post that uh, after this episode airs. And Carl, if people want to weigh in on some of their favorite world building in Star Wars or weigh in on the matchup, where can they do that? Of course, um, be sure to follow us on Twitter um, at Wampuslayer. We're on Facebook at Wampuslayer Podcast. You can always email us at wampuslayerpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to help support the show and get some expanded material on our Patreon, head over to patreon.com slash wampuslayerpodcast. 
Um, of course, if you want to see what Katie's always up to, she's got lots of great um, Star Wars uh, rambling thoughts and, and, and really great insights on her Twitter, which is at Dameron. So be sure to follow Katie. Um, and uh, again, the end of the episode, we've got episode nine of the New Hope radio drama coming at you. We are starting a, another top ten list. Part, two-part top ten list starting next week when Katie gets back and excited to share that with you uh, starting next week so we can't can't wait to have you all back uh, this one's gonna be nerve-wracking for me <laughs> um, just saying <laughs> um, but that's all the hints you'll get until next week um, and so that'll wrap up this episode of the Wampas Lair podcast thank you everybody for listening to episode 309 world building For Carl and Katie, who's not here, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampa's Lair. Star Wars, Episode 9, Rogues, Rebels, and Robots. time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there came a time of revolution when rebels united to challenge a tyrannical empire. In the rebellion's most desperate crisis, plans for the empire's mightiest weapon, the Death Star, were stolen by rebel agents and placed in the memory banks of the astro droid R2-D2. R2 and his interpreter counterpart C-3PO are now under the protection of a young farmer, Luke Skywalker, and the veteran Jedi Knight, Ben Kenobi. In hopes of delivering the droids into rebel hands on the planet Alderaan, Luke and Ben have hired two reckless smugglers, Han Solo and his co-pilot Chewbacca, along with their starship, the Millennium Falcon. Having fought her way past an Imperial blockade, the Falcon is now en route via hyperspace for Alderaan. Her passengers and crew unaware that the Empire is already moving against the Rebel Alliance with all the power at its command. Ah, that brief shock was the jump to light speed. I think we can unfasten our safety belts now, Luke. (laughs) Fine with me. We talk about a wild ride between those Imperial cruisers blazing away at us and Han's crazy piloting. I never thought we'd make it. (laughs) Captain Solo's flying may be rather on the daredevil side, but I would say that we owe our lives to it. Not many pilots or starships can make their way through an Imperial Starfleet blockade. I can see where his renown as a smuggler had its source. But it reminded me just why I hate space travel. <laughs> Might I unbuckle too, please, Master? Sure, go ahead. And Arthur would like to know if you can let go of the bulkhead. Oh, yeah, 3PO. This trip's going to take a little while. How is R2? He says he's quite in order, Master Luke. Thank you. Good. He's sure been through enough in the last couple of days. So have we all, if I might say so. (laughs) But what's he saying now? He's just pointed out that there's a recharging unit over here. 
Might I suggest that he and I avail ourselves of it? That's a good idea. We can't foresee how long it will be before another opportunity presents itself. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, 3PO, you and R2 go to it. Thank you, sir. You just look at the garbage in this compartment. <laughs> Shipping containers, spare parts, empty crates, and just plain old junk all over the place. Some starship. Now, this is a working freighter, Luke, even if her activities are rather on the shady side. Independent captains like Solo run their ships to suit themselves, and they live as they see fit. But I'll tell you this. For all the clutter, the Millennium Falcon is in excellent shape and far faster than she was when she was built. Solo wasn't exaggerating about those modifications he's made on her. You know what I was surprised to find back at the crew quarters? That holographic game board. I wouldn't have expected Han to be the kind to play. Yeah, spaces fill the hours they spend in transit in a surprising variety of ways, Luke. But the fact that a rough-and-ready fellow like Solo chooses such a pastime does indicate another side to him. Yeah, but who does he play against? The machine? Or against his first mate, Chewbacca, in all likelihood. Oh, the Wookiee. Well, games of skill and thought aren't restricted to human beings and machines, Luke. Now, don't let Chewbacca's great size and fierce appearance fool you. Wookiees are a species with great adaptability and they're quick to learn. I guess you're right, but there's no other crew, just Han and Chewbacca? Their arrangement seems to work well enough for them. Captain pilot and first mate co-pilot. They strike me as a very competent pair for all their brashness. As long as they get us to Alderaan, they suit our needs. Yeah, for 17000 The price is insignificant, Luke. Things are coming to a crucial juncture in the war of rebel against Empire. You know, it's still hard for me to believe that a princess of the royal house of Alderaan and her father could both be members of the Rebel Alliance. I think it's best to leave that subject for now, Luke, for a more guarded place and time. Really? You think Han is... Uh, Captain Solo's loyalties obviously lie more with himself than with the Empire, but it's better not to test that by letting him know just what he's carrying in the form of R2. The jump to light speed came off without a hitch, Jensen droids. Hey, what are those two doing at the tech station? The droids are merely recharging, Captain. Well, make sure they don't mess with anything. Me and Chewie are going to repair a little minor damage we did blasting at a Mose Isley hmm. and make sure we're not being followed. So make yourselves comfortable, and we'll have you in Alderaan before you're through dusting the Tatooine sand off you. Thank you. Well, I guess I'll take a look around. I've never been aboard a starship before, but I sure thought about it enough. Yeah, perhaps a little later, Luke. For now, there are other more important things for us to do. I don't know what our mission will bring or what we'll encounter on Alderaan, but it's best we begin your training. Right now? I mean... Here? Didn't you tell me you wanted to be instructed in the ways of the Force in order to become a Jedi Knight like your father was? Yes, of course, but I... Well, the way of the Jedi is a lifelong education, Luke. I began learning it when I was younger than you. I have achieved a certain mastery, and yet I am no less a pupil for all of that even now. Darth Vader was a pupil of yours, wasn't he? The one who killed my father and betrayed the Jedi? Darth Vader began as my pupil, yes. Tell me about him, Ben. I want to know who he is and why he went over to the dark side of the Force. I want to face him and tell him whose son I am. If you wish to be a Jedi, you will have to put aside your desire for revenge. But he... Anger and hatred, yes, and fear too. Now, these can help you draw power from the Force, but only from its dark side. And the dark side of the Force exacts a terrible price from those whom it seduces. But... 
Can't you tell me about him? I, I want to know who he is and why he gave in to the dark side. Luke, Luke, you're reaching far ahead of yourself. The workings of the Force aren't always so direct. Well, I don't mean to sound like I'm impatient, Ben. I'm grateful that you cared enough about me to watch over me and to teach me. Yes. I haven't had a pupil since before the dark times, before the Empire all but exterminated the Jedi. And there were many times since when I thought I would never teach another, and I feared the way of the Jedi would die out. You mean there are no other Jedi? Now, we are not altogether alone in the galaxy, you and I, but I doubt that we can count on help from others of our kind. Our kind? Well, where do we begin? When the Jedi were guardians of peace and justice back in the days of the Old Republic, an initiate would begin by spending a great deal of time in contemplation, learning to open himself to the Force. Yes. But this is a different day with its own urgencies. Now, Luke, take your father's lightsaber in your hand. Well, how do I hold the grip? Watch. Emulate me. Okay. Hold the grip so, so that the blade, when it comes into existence, will be high and ready. Yes. Ben, how did you do that quick draw on the cantina when you cut those two killers down? I mean, I never saw anybody move so fast. Basics first, Luke. You must... Crawl before I run? <laughs> Just so. Good. Now, take up this stance. Like, like this? That's it. Now watch me. I push this button in the grip of the lightsaber to activate it. Energy is liberated, and the blade comes into existence, you see? Now, from this basic position, you can launch into any movement of the blade. In attack or defense, advance or withdrawal. Now, you try it. Okay, let's see. No, 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 no. Bring your feet together. Too wide a stance robs you of speed and agility. That's better. Can you feel your center of balance? Feels pretty good. I watch and I shall demonstrate the basic drill. From the ready position into the first defensive posture. And the second, third, fourth. Continuing the circular motion with a sweep of the blade like so. And back again into the ready position. You see? I think so. Can I try it? <laughs> Very well, but carefully. Never forget a lightsaber blade will cut through anything it contacts. Anything. Right. Now, your blade. Boy, this lightsaber feels kind of like it's alive. It is, in a way, through you. Ready? First defensive posture. And the second. Now, it requires a deeper step forward, Luke. Okay. The third. No, 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 no. Keep your blade higher. That's right. And into the fourth. Now bring it all the way round. The parry must be a full movement. <sighs> look, it's a lot harder than you make it look. Learning to use a lightsaber properly is a long, meticulous process. Still, you haven't begun all that badly. I can see you inherited your father's dexterity and coordination. Yeah, but I'm not sure I can get the hang of it. I mean, at least not soon enough to make it useful. I know how to use a blaster pretty well from survival school back home. Maybe I'd better stick with that. Now, one can do things with a lightsaber that cannot be done with a mere firearm, Luke. But more than that, the lightsaber is a discipline for the mind and a schooling for the body and spirit. 
It's one of the ways in which a Jedi contacts the Force. Well, it's just that it's not like anything I ever tried before. Let me go through that drill again. Uh, in, in a moment, Luke. I have a feeling we may need our every resource when we reach Alderaan. I have it in mind to accelerate your training by opening you to the Force. How? By building your trust in it and in yourself. A great part of a Jedi's power is derived from the Force by a firm conviction, a trust. Well, I'll try whatever you want me to, Ben. What do I do? Simply believe. Yes? I'm going to help you. I'll be your guide and your intermediary. Now, I'm going to stand here behind you. I want you to listen to my voice and empty your mind of everything else. Yes. Focus on my voice and concentrate on the open area of the deck where you will try the drill once more. Yes. Envision yourself going through the drill. Don't move, but feel the shape of the sequence, how your arms and legs will move, how nerves and muscles will cooperate. Try to make the sensations as real as you can. The wide, rotary motions of the lightsaber, the placement of your feet, and where your center of balance will be. Now, activate your blade. Good. Now open yourself and create the flow of those movements in your mind. Let the pattern carry your mind along. How does it feel? Like I can do it automatically, without thinking. Well, not that exactly, more like that I don't have to worry, like something will move me through the drill. That's fine, Luke. Hold that thought and focus on the drill. Don't worry about speed. Don't worry about indecision. Don't worry about anything. Feel the life of the lightsaber in your hands and anticipate the flow of it. And when you feel that you're ready, begin. First defensive posture. That's right. Second. Good, Luke. And the third. Very good. Into the fourth. Exactly. And back around to the ready position. Well done, Luke. How did it feel? It felt so natural. I wasn't thinking about it, really. The drill just carried me along. And so it should. You have a strong aptitude, Luke, a powerful affinity for the Force. What do you say to some more practice? Yes, I'd like that very much. Excellent. Now again, take up the ready position and feel the flow of the events to come. And the sixth. Now into the seventh attack position. Pivot and parry. <laughs> Fine. I think you should take another short rest, Luke. We've been at this for quite some time now. But I don't feel tired. I feel like I could do this forever. Well, then take pity on your elder's son. What? I could use a respite myself. Ah, here's Chewbacca. How are the repairs going? What'd he say? He and Captain Solo repaired all the damage. He says there's time before we reach Alderaan for a quick match at the holographic game board back in the crew quarters. I'm sorry, Chewbacca, but Luke and I have other work to do. Go be quiet, Artwin. Stop boasting. What's he want, 3PO? Well, Master Luke, he claims to have been programmed to play a competent hollow game when he was assigned as a maintenance droid at a one-man refueling station in order to provide a diversion for the attendant. Why don't you play R2, Chewie? Sounds like you're on, R2. I do hope you know what you're doing, R2. 
for the change. Uh, you'd better leave Chewbacca plenty of room back there, 3 PO. I quite agree, sir. <laughs> now, how about a practice duel, Ben? If we took it real slowly, and I'll be careful. Uh, could... I don't think you're quite ready for that yet, Luke. <sighs> Though you could use more advanced practice at this point. Hmm. I noticed that Captain Solo wears his blaster in a fast draw holster. Right. He must keep a remote around for target practice. I wonder where he's Ah, here we are. Have you ever used one of these little remote target globes before, Luke? Uh, once or twice. I'm resetting it. It will maneuver in the air, darting back and forth, and fire harmless sting bursts at you. Huh? They're a bit painful, but not dangerous. I want you to try and block them with your lightsaber. Okay. When I release the remote into the air, it will commence an attack. Ready? Ready. It hurt. Not as much as a real enemy would, I assure you. I've set the remote to attack so long as your lightsaber blade is activated. Now continue, Luke. You must reach out and make contact with the Force to anticipate the attack so that... Ben? Ben? Are you all right? Here, sit down. Now, what's wrong? I felt a great disturbance in the force, as if millions of voices cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced, as if an entire world had died in an instant. I fear that something terrible has happened. Well, is there anything I can do? No, no, I'll, I'll be all right. Well, you can forget your troubles. We'll be at Alderaan pretty soon. I told you I could outrun those Imperial slugs. Hey, don't everybody thank me at once. Huh? I see Chewie found himself an opponent. Your little droid's not bad at that game. You'd better watch out. He might win. Well, what did I tell you, Chewie? It was a trick. Oh, made a fair move, Chewbacca. If you fell for it, that is your fault. Screaming about it won't help you. You'd better let Chewie have his way. It's not wise to upset a Wookiee. But, sir, nobody worries about upsetting a droid. Well, that's because droids don't pull people's arms out of their sockets when they lose. Wookiees are known to do that. I see your point, sir. Might I suggest a new strategy, Arto? Let the Wookiee win. Ben, are you feeling any better? Yes. Let's continue with your drill, Luke. Saber ready? Ready. Remember, a Jedi can feel the Force flowing through him. You mean it controls your actions? Partially, but it also obeys your commands. Careful now. My leg! <laughs> Hokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, kid. You don't believe in the Force, do you, Han? Kid, I've been from one side of this galaxy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff, but I've never seen anything to make me believe there's one all-powerful force controlling everything. <laughs> there's no mystical energy field controlling my destiny. Then what does? Who knows? Look, this stuff you're telling him, it's all a lot of simple tricks and nonsense. I suggest you try again, Luke. Here, we'll try it with you wearing this flight helmet. Now lower its blast shield into place. Now this time, let go of your conscious self and act on instinct. But with this blast shield down like this, I can't even see. How am I supposed to fight the remote? Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. <laughs> Gonna try for two sore legs, huh, kid? Now let's try again, Luke. <laughs> See to the pants, huh? You're doing great, kid. Again, Luke. 
Listen to my voice and trust me. Reach out with your feelings. Yeah, but going against remotes is one thing. Going against the living, that's something else. You see, Luke, you can do it. You parried all three shots by trusting your feelings. Oh, uh, yeah? Well, I call it luck. In my experience, Captain Solo, there is no such thing as mere luck. It's as good a faith as any old man. Luck and money. Ah, yes, wealth. I'd forgotten how important that is to you. <laughs> well, don't knock it. If me and Chewie weren't hard up for it, you two and the droids would still be playing tag with the stormtroopers back on Tatooine. As it is, you get where you want to go, and we clear our debts. <laughs> You're quite a paradox, Captain Solo. You prize above everything else the cardinal freedom of star travel, yet you are held back from it by something as trifling as money. <laughs> you come to think of it, there are entire worlds in just that same predicament. <laughs> you said it, Chewie. So money's trifling, huh? Well, just you try getting along without any. Oh, but I do. Huh? Have you ever seen a credit come into or leave my hand? I haven't had any and haven't missed it in, oh, quite some years now. And wanted for nothing. No, well... <laughs> well, all right, so the kid there paid your way, but you wouldn't have gotten any place if he hadn't come up with the cash. Well, perhaps I'm, uh, lucky? <laughs> what am I doing arguing with an old coot like you? <laughs> you haven't even got the price of a meal. <laughs> anyway, we're coming up on Alderaan. You measure your freedom in this life in cash, old man. If you got enough, you can go as far and as fast as you want. Come on, Chewie. Uh, Captain Solo. Yeah. Even the universe itself is curved, my friend. If you run far enough and fast enough, you end up right where you began. Now just hold on there. <laughs> all right, all right, Chewie, I'm coming. Should have known better than to argue with a crazy old uh, Don't pay any attention to him, Ben. All the money in the Empire wouldn't stop me from helping you deliver the droids and doing whatever I can for Princess Leia. I know that, Luke. I have great confidence in you. You know, I really did feel something during that lightsaber drill. I could almost see what the remote was going to do. That's good. You have taken your first step into a larger world. <sighs> Anything I hate, it's being saddled with a dewy-eyed idealist. They're trouble, Chewie. Oh, yes, they are that bad. They're hot, too. You saw how badly those Imperial cruisers wanted us. What are you, getting soft in your old age? Maybe we should quit the smuggling business and open a soup kitchen. Okay, all right, calm down. The Navi computer says we're about ready to revert to normal space. Stand by. Here we go. Cutting in sublight engines. Good. Now we can... What the flaming flying? Oh, oh, we've come out of hyperspace into some kind of meteor shower. Sky's full of them. Increased power to deflector shields. Maybe there was an asteroid collision, only it's not on any of the charts. What's going on? We stopped to pick up a load of gravel. What else? There shouldn't be any navigational hazards this near Alderaan. Our position is correct, only no Alderaan. 
What do you mean? Where is it? That's what I'm trying to tell you, kid. It ain't there. What? I think it's been totally blown away. How could that be? Destroyed by the Empire. I should have realized it when I felt it earlier. An entire Starfleet couldn't destroy a whole planet. It'd take a thousand ships with more firepower than What's I... that line on the console? There's another ship closing on us. Well, maybe they know what happened to Alderaan. It's an Imperial fighter. What makes you so sure? Sensors don't have a clear idea. It's firing on us. High fighter, right enough. Good guess, old man. It must have followed us from Tatooine. No, it's a short-range fighter. But there aren't any bases around here. Where'd it come from? Well, maybe it wandered away from a convoy. Look, you're leaving in a big hurry. If that pilot identifies us, we're in big trouble. Not if I can help it. Chewie, jam his transmission. It will be as well to let it go. It's too far out of range. Not for long. You may think you know everything, old man, but you got a lot to learn about the Millennium Falcon. Chewie! Switch weapon systems over to sensor gunlock. Let me know when we've got him ranged. A couple of salvos and our worries will be over. He's <laughs> too. He's headed for that small moon. Yeah, but we're gaining. I think we can back him before he gets there. We're almost in range. That's no moon. That's a space station. What? You're even crazier than I thought. Look at the size of it. It's way too big to be a space station. Oh, oh boy. Ben, you're right. I have a very bad feeling about this. Right, so you get those two. Turn the ship around. Yeah. I think you're right. Four reverse. Chewie, lock in auxiliary power. Chewie, I said lock in auxiliary power. It's too late. Why are we still moving towards it? The Falcon's not answering your helm. Whatever that thing is out there, it's got us caught in a tractor beam and it's hauling us in. Well, do something. Kid, there's nothing I can do against a beam with that much juice. I'm on full power now. Gonna have to shut down or I'll melt the engines. Chewie, full deflector shields, angle them forward. Get me without a fight. But you can't win. No, but I can shorten a few Imperial careers. There are alternatives to fighting, though. Huh? Alternatives that might mean survival. All right, you got yourself an audience. What's the scheme? You're a smuggler, are you not? Along with speed, your speciality is concealment. Let us take advantage of that. Yeah, but Jettison how... some escape pods before we come into sensor range of that station. And prepare to make an entry in the ship's log. Luke? Yes, sir. Get the droids. Hurry, there's little time left. Right. If you're planning what I think you are and we pull it off, <laughs> I'll give you half fare on your next ride. I only hope this works. Well, if it doesn't, then let us know at the firing squad. Caught in the grip of the Empire's awesome Death Star, the Millennium Falcon and her passengers and crew are drawn into the center of the web of galactic events. There, the Princess Leia Organa is held captive, awaiting her execution. And there, too, waits Darth Vader. Luke Skywalker is soon to meet the woman whose image has summoned him across light years of space and the enemy whose destiny was tied to his own before his birth. Star Wars, Episode 9 by Brian Daly. Based on characters and situations created by George Lucas. 
Featured in the cast were Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, Bernard Behrens as Ben Kenobi, and Perry King as Han Solo. The series was directed by John Madden, with sound mixing and post-production by Tom Vigley. Music by John Williams. Sound design for Lucasfilm by Ben Burt. Story editor for the series was Lindsay Smith. Casting and production coordination by Nell Saar. Executive producer was Richard Tosca. Executive producer for Lucasfilm was Carol Teitelman. <laughs>